Welcome to the Youth Athletic Podcast, or as you guys all know us as the Yak. I'm Eric Strassman, and with me as always, got John Coleman and Paul Kenny. Today we get a chance to talk about one of my very favorite topics, and that's plyometrics. Now, plyometrics is a great one to talk about at this time because plyometrics was invented as a way to be able to do more with less. I'm going to give you guys a quick history here. So, Yuri Berkashansky is the one that I know of who uh, really brought uh, plyometrics to the forefront. And Yuri was doing a ton of training. He was like the head sports scientist in Russia. And Yuri was in a situation where he had a really, really cold climate. Russia gets really cold. There's lots of snow. And he basically was working with track and field teams, and he needed to come up with a way to be able to get his athletes to, I guess, endure the levels of strength that they would typically endure while doing running when they couldn't do running. So he came up with this idea of having the athletes uh, jump off a, a bench. Now, I believe the way the story goes, Yori jumped off the bench a few times, realized he was hitting the ground, but he wanted to mimic this ground contact time. So he then immediately went into jumps. Well, he did a bunch of these, and he realized this felt like it was pretty intense. But being the sports scientist guy he is, he needed to put his athletes through it. So he takes his athletes. He runs them through it sort of one by one, recommends about doing maybe two to three sets of these, maybe 10 each. A lot of these guys were great athletes and young guys, and were going, no, no, I can do more for coach. And some of those guys uh, were rumored to have done about 100. Well, that being said, the story goes, Nobody showed up to practice the next day. And from there, Yuri realized that the level of stress that he was trying to create seemed to be recreated in that, that session. And he started to use more of that uh, in his sessions. And his athletes tended to win because we all know that Russia had a really good uh, run there as, uh, as track and field uh, teams go. So I guess this is where I can bring John and, and Paul in here. So first off, have you guys heard any stories about Yuri? Were you guys uh, ever studying Yuri Berkoshensky and say the shock method? Um, yeah, so in talks with other coaches, it's came up a lot. And um, I just simply enjoy watching some of the videos that I see on like YouTube, like the old school videos of just super, super explosive athletes and like uh, short shorts, like just uh, <laughs> looking super impressive. So I just really, really strange looking equipment in those gyms, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so I just enjoy watching that stuff. Um, I've never like dived into his stuff uh, uh, like deeply, but um, I understand there's actually another guy, like an older uh, strength coach that sort of brought it to America and like could it be Fred? Of, could it be something? And I could be wrong here. Is it, is it Fred Wilt? Maybe? No, not Fred Wilt. I mean, it could have been a couple guys that brought it over, but uh, but he has some YouTube videos that I've watched too about it, but. That's really my my uh, experience with that. I'd also heard a doctor. I think it's like yes, yesis or whatever. It is. Yeah, yesis. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So he's yeah. he's a great guy to listen to. I think he. You, you want to talk about this? Yuri's books are great, but a lot of his books were translated. Um, one I have was translated by his daughter, and it's stuff can get lost in translation. What's great is, uh, and again, I don't want to mess it up. If it's yesis or yesis, whatever. This guy, he does a great job of breaking things down, man. It's like mm -hmm. he's totally clear. And, again, we're Americans. He speaks English. It works out really well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Paul, take me through your, uh, your experience with Plyo. Or maybe what you, first, what you first learned about it when you first started using it. So, the first time I started using it was actually as an athlete, obviously, when I was training. Um, but I remember kind of similar stories to – 
to what you were saying about those athletes not making it to the next day of practice, you know, we were doing box jumps or hurdle hops. And I remember, you know, vaguely hopping over this one hurdle, seeing how high we could get. And we probably sat there, you know, three of us, two teammates and I, for a good 30 minutes jumping over this hurdle. And the next day I woke up and it was like my hamstrings were rods. I, I, could, I, couldn't move, I couldn't move. And I was like, all I did was jump. But it's one of those things you don't think about until you do it. And then when you study it, it's actually really cool to understand. You know, plyos, the, the whole idea is, you know, exerting maximal force in a short amount of time. And, you know, you were talking about those, you know, winter months where you can't run. Plyos are meant to build reactive power, joint stiffness, and coordination. That's basically sprinting. So the ideas behind it are, you know, very simple to see as a coach, but your athletes have to understand the dosage and, you know, how to do it properly. So I think I, I haven't, div- you know, dove into the stuff like you have with the history of it, but it's really cool to, uh, to see those videos. I know exactly what John's talking about with the uh, single leg hurdle hops of like 36 inch hurdles or even higher. These guys are yeah. bounding. It's, it's crazy. Um, but just freakish athletes that can produce a ton of force. It's great, too, because back then, those guys didn't quite look like the superheroes they were, right? Like, you look at this guy, you're like, there's no way. And you're like, whoa! <laughs> you know, yeah. who can jump, you know? Um, yeah. Well, so, you know, again, I think what I, what I like to touch on now is this. So, when, I, when you hear, and I'll I say this, I think it was great to see you bring up this guy, uh, this guy, Dr. Uh, Yeses, because he, he really is a stickler for the idea that the depth jump was really it. And I'll say this, I read, I read, uh, I believe it's the SST method. And I can definitely say that most of what was done in there from an explosive standpoint and any kind of jump program. And when they break down the thing that they were most proud of, it really was the shock method. And it was just the idea that as soon as your feet hit the ground, you should be creating maximal force, right? And being as explosive as possible and then having to land the stuff. That's the thing, right? So I always said, like, you know, the craziest thing that I would see would be I'd watch, like, say someone is doing CrossFit or something of that nature. And, again, I'm not trying to hammer CrossFit. It's more like I would see CrossFit with this idea that somebody would really care about how many times they jumped up with almost no emphasis on what was going on when they come down. And it seems like the real value of plyometrics really is everything on the landing. It's, it's when you hit the ground, what happens? Do you, say, immediately explode up, which seems to be more tendon-related, right? This is more of that bouncy thing. This is that thing that we talk about with people who are, like, trying to build quickness off the ground. Or it's that second part of being able to absorb maximal force, kind of like what we talk about with Tony Holler and those cat jumps. So it seems like some of the best training was done with this idea that you would hit the ground from a specific height, immediately create force, then create it forward up whatever have you and then have to absorb that force and that that seems to be the real advantages there um so if you're just doing an up and down type thing or you're just jumping up onto a box and that's that it sounds like you're doing jump training you're not doing plyometrics now we talked about this a little bit beforehand that's that's more the stance that i've been hearing and honestly after hearing some of these experts talk i think i totally agree with it do you guys feel like there's a difference between plyometrics and jump training or do you feel like any kind of uh, action that requires you to, to essentially create a stretch shortening cycle? Uh, do you feel like that could be considered to be plyometrics? What are we looking at? So I think a true plyometric is uh, anything that's super quick and, and, and you have uh, low ground contact time. That's a true plyometric, right? A jump is something that's like 
uh, real force dependent, like high, high, high ground contact time. Um, and you're, and it has more of like a strength, uh, base to it. So that's a difference in my opinion. So for plyometric, you'll be much quicker where a jump is like a little bit slower. I could definitely see that, especially if we were talking about, say, the vertical jump, which is so important. Yeah. A lot mm -hmm. of times an individual can try to, like, basically start off as tall as they can and push into the ground. And mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a little bit of speed there. But realistically, you've got to put more time into more force because there's no way for you to be able to create that extra force. You have to sort of put more emphasis on the push there, right? Yeah, it's more, it's more of an acceleration thing. You're like uh, – trying to take a stagnant object which is yourself and get it moving with a plyometric you're already sort of moving so there's some potential energy involved in that you know what i mean that sounds good and i hope when you were talking about stagnant object you weren't just talking about me and all taking a jab at me because if you were good job <laughs> no. well, you're up. what are you thinking <laughs> yeah it's a combination of the two again when you look at plyometrics versus jump training i think you add them together you get athleticism um, I look at my athletes when they land or when they change direction. And the one thing I always say is we don't want to ooze, you know, we don't want to sink into those landings. Instead, we want to stop and pop. So when you're looking at, you know, apply metric, you're looking at, again, like John said, short ground contact time, but you're not going to get as much force production in that minimal amount of time spent on the ground. But then you look at jump training, it's a longer ground contact time, kind of like a squat jump or a long jump, but you're getting high force. So if you combine the two, it's where you really see an athlete become an athlete, but they do have different purposes. If you're just doing kind of the plyometric, the elastic, I don't think you're going to have the strength to stop yourself or to absorb force on the field. If you're just doing the strength of the power, I don't think you're going to have a top speed. I think you're going to lack elasticity. So the, the combination of the two is great, but they do have differences. And the big difference I see or I use as a coach is if I'm doing jump training, since it's high force production and longer ground contact. I only want to do maybe 16 to 24 jumps per day in that kind of column. If I'm doing plyometrics, I can do up to 140, 160, even higher with some athletes of ground contacts because it's not as much force, but you're training that repeatability. You're training that fast motion. You're training how to get down and up off the ground really, really fast. I see what you're saying with that. And again, we could even say this, you know, when we look at, say, plyometrics, um, you know, in the, in the form of a jump rope, someone who's just hitting the ground really, uh, really carefully, you know, you basically have, like, that's the number one um, implement for a boxer or for an MMA fighter to basically, like, do their conditioning work. You can do cardiac output work like that. So, in other words, you could basically just, you know, put your heart rate monitor on and go for 60 minutes straight in the green zone and all, and you'd be okay doing it. And again, you're making these really quick, uh, quick bounces off the ground. Uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting thought because I think if that's what we're saying, if we're saying that it's really just quick ground, ground contact time compared to uh, long ground contact time, I think I agree with that. But I, what I would say is from hearing some of these other guys uh, speak on it, they're really pretty clear on the idea that for them, Yuri's goal when he like I guess it, Yuri's training was the shock method and he was trying to shock the system and try to create this idea of what you would get when you would hit the ground running I think in the U.S. if we're talking about I think the term I think it was Fred Wilt and again if I'm wrong definitely correct me guys hit me up on this uh, and let me know but I think it was Fred Wilt uh, I think he came up with the name of this thing and realistically 
concepts that they were trying to put into it really were just taking Yuri's work and trying to Americanize it. And then I think for us, plyometric became a really cool thing to talk about. I mean, think about it. It's got a cool name to it. It has jumping, which it, the fact that you can even look at jumping as a way to, uh, to add into a training program for a lot of people, it's a lot more fun, more palatable. Honestly, for me, it was one of the first times in a while I'd had a fun time training. I remember going a little bit more from like um, more of like the, uh, the emphasis on building muscle and being bigger to then all of a sudden getting a chance to do things that were more explosive and then starting to dig into the plyometrics programs, which I think I told you guys in like a bunch of podcasts ago, a lot of, a lot of the thing they, the first time I was introduced to the term was actually from that P90X, right? So I think I'd actually had that guy, I don't know, it was Tony Horton or whatever his name is. I had that guy talking about plyometrics and basically it was just a bunch of jumps. So I was doing a bunch of jump training, but what I noticed was, after doing jump training, instead of doing more like sagittal plane motions where I basically just beat the crap out of a muscle until the muscle like just couldn't move anymore that day and then have it rebuild to be bigger, I started to do these things that required me to be quicker and try to push off the ground more um, and, and just move in ways that I hadn't. And it was just pretty amazing how I was able to, to notice that like I was dunking a ball pretty quickly thereafter. And again, I'm 6'2". I'd been able to dump a ball a lot of my life, but when I was not doing that kind of training and just kind of doing the everyday stuff, that, that, that skill set went away from me. And next thing you know, add the jumping in there, add the pushing in there, and I started to notice the difference. And that's what, what essentially sold it for me. For you guys, when, when you guys uh, either first started introducing it with your clients or did it with yourself, did you guys notice a big, giant difference? Um, and also, I guess the, the other question is, was, was there ever a period where you didn't have it and then you added it in? Before we go there, I just want to, I think there's an uh, opportunity for us to clear something up. So um, Paul just said like high force versus low force. Um, but I think, yeah, you have your high force uh, plow met or high force jumps, right? Then you have like your low force plyos and then you have your high force plyos. So like a low force plyo would be like uh like mini hurdle hops or uh, pogos, tuck jumps, things like that. There's not much force being applied, so you can get more reps. Where a higher force plyo, I don't think we want to be doing like 140 reps of that. So that would be like a depth jump or uh, like a high hurdle uh, hops, right? Um, so I think there's a difference. Um, and I don't, I don't know if anyone talks about it this way. Low force plyo, low, lower force plyos versus higher uh force pliers you know what I, mean? well, I think i think paul is going to tell you a little bit about that chart that he uses i know bobby smith and those guys uh they have something like that too but uh you know you're totally right about that john you know i think basically just trying to get into the idea that if we're talking about the amount of time on the ground we may be talking the same language about plyometrics but when we're talking about the amount of force that you put in there if there's got to be a clarification so whether you're going to call one the shock method one jump training or one, uh, you know, one plyo, I think no matter what, you're, it's a good thing to be as clear as you were right there about, you know, just having, a, having a, a, the right range for the amount of force that you're putting in and how much you have to absorb. So, Paul, for I, you, oh, go okay. ahead. Uh, I think the way to different, I'm just thinking as we're talking, like, this is awesome. I think the way to differentiate it, low and high force plyos, is the height. Right. Because the more because yeah. a higher depth drop is definitely more force upon your body than, say, like a, a mini hurdle hop. You know what I mean? 
So it's I just think the way to differentiate it is the height. So, yeah. The height, but it could also be, did you, what is the, the speed at which you're coming down as well, right? So, like, here's just a thought for you would be, you ever just, like, step off and then jump, and then you jump up and jump off? I think if somebody's at a shorter height, so let's say you give them a 12-inch box, but you mm-hmm. have them, uh, but you have them jump up as as high as they can. Right. Chances are that level of force that they put into it is a little bit more of an indicator than if you stay had them jump off a 30 or step off a 36 inch box into their uh, into their plyo. So I think there's a little bit of a force comp, uh, component to that too. Right. So I guess right. so. It's not going to just be that, but you're right. I mean, height's going to be a huge indicator, but also the amount of force that they're putting into like like going down so that when they do they have to then uh, then immediately absorb and and go so height and intent then height and intent I like or intensity that. right would that be what we say intensity or intent or... meaning intent meaning okay i'm dropping off a six inch box but then i'm trying to jump as high as i can yes. where jumping over the hurdle the intent is just i'm the intent the, the mini hurdle the intent, I'm trying to get off the ground as quick as possible, but not necessarily trying to jump as high as I can. Right. Yes. You know I and mean? hey, just so everybody knows on the podcast, John is drawing some elaborate chart above his computer right now that he's <laughs> going to take a picture of and post with this podcast. Well, I don't know if y'all want to take a picture because it's all scribbled. I have to rewrite it. <laughs> no, it's this, cool, this, this is where all the stuff come from. You know, talking yeah. with other coaches is where we generate, you know, good conversational topics for our audience. All right. Yeah. Honestly, when I was giving the, the, the example, when I was talking about like the, the force, I just kept like throwing my hand up and shaking the phone and all. So like, you know, it's like one of those weird ones where you just like, you know, you're in the midst of trying to explain something and, and, and try to put words with it and get into it. But yeah, I, I, this is one of my very favorite topics to get into because I just think, you know, it, it took, uh, it took a great mind and, it, and there, there were other people that were thinking on it too, but it just took a great mind to basically dive deep and want to be able to create uh, the right kind of effect for the athletes, didn't have the tools necessary, it seemed. And then uh, before you know it, you know, necessity was what the mother invention, that type of thing. This guy realized it made sense. It's almost as if he went to say, uh, you know, Home Depot today and found a bunch of great things for their clients, you know? Uh, yeah. By the way, guys, John just did that too. So hopefully, John will be able to put some posts up there for all the cool stuff that he just went and picked up for his clients. That's so, so a big part of why I wanted to talk about this again had to do with this whole minimalistic thing and just being able to do more in less time. So maybe what I'd like to do is this: maybe roundtable it here. If you were going to instruct um, athletes on some cool exercises that could be done at home uh, or things that you could do to, that, that they could replicate to make up for not having weights to squat, not having uh, weights to do some of their heavy lifting, and also maybe having a limit to uh, you know where they could run. Maybe some of these kids are really quarantined in. There's no good place to run. How would you guys go about that? So maybe just a couple of plyometric exercises or jumping exercises that you would throw in to make sure that uh, they would have what they need. And I guess while we're at it, we could throw some upper body uh, plyometrics in too if that's the direction you want to go. Yeah, um, if I were to just, you know, off the top of my head pick three exercises, the first thing I think about is exactly what we were just talking about. Let's get one exercise that's going to get a lot of ground contacts, maybe that low force plyometric. Um, I would instruct my athletes to go out and get tape 
or maybe some chalk. Draw a plus sign. You make a little box. Put one in the bottom left corner, two in the top left, three in the top right, four in the bottom right. All you have to do is get a stopwatch and maybe for eight to ten seconds, jump back and forth, one, two, really, really fast. Um, just really kind of getting that elasticity going. You can do one, four, side to side, one, three, working on a diagonal pattern. You can, you know, tag three areas together and go one, two, three. Any kind of box you can create very easily and just kind of get that low force plyometric exercise. Um, for the higher force plyometric exercise, we already harped on this enough and I'm not going to go too far into it, but get on something and jump off and land it. And I saw Eric's posts with the kid at a park the other day, stepping off a curb and working on a snap down landing. Those are the kinds of things you can work on, but you have to understand, don't do too many of those because you won't be able to walk the next day like me. Um, you have to understand that that effect's gonna hit you later. And then as far as the high force, longer ground contact, one of my favorites is find a hill and just do long jumps or bounds going up a hill really just generating force. It's going to limit the stress on the landing, but you're going to still get that high force, long ground contact time. And that's going to tag those three together. Um, and I think that'd be a good start for athletes who don't have any equipment. Uh, nothing needs to be said from me. That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, so first thing first, kids uh, you saw the video, 10 years old, uh, we were looking at uh, about four total sets, um, you know, basically five jumps, four total sets. Um, and again, as a coach, you just got to make sure you're eyeballing them, man. I think that's so important. Make sure that they're doing the right things, you know. A lot of times kids will feel like they can do a lot more in the way of repetitions uh, than they really need to. And, you know, it's your job to be able to, to, to give them an idea about what that means. So what I'd probably recommend most, most coaches out there is if you're going to recommend something that requires the kids to, like, say, jump off a height and land it, a, make sure you've harped on landing mechanics more than anything. That's the first thing I have to say to you. Make sure that they understand how to land it. If you need that type of thing, I have a post. I'm sure you guys have a post. Maybe that's something we should throw on the uh, on the, the site so they can see it. But landing mechanics are key because, again, you want to make sure that you're landing with good form. Same thing like as a squat. You want to make sure you're squatting with good form, any of these things. Um, second thing that I would, I would focus in on is rest period. Now, if you're going to do something like what, what Paul's talking about with jump off of something high, I would suggest that we put this into like that max strength category. So you get a kid to jump off something really high. So let's say you're jumping off a 24 inch uh, box or a 30 inch box, and then maybe he's even jumping high off that, right? That's really, you know, we don't know. That could be 40 inches right there. So if you're going to do something of that nature, I think, you know, figure out your rest team, maybe three to five, something of that nature. And then I'm a big fan of giving a three to five minute rest. I'm not against giving an eight minute rest, you know, Really, it's as much time as they need to, to feel like they're recovered, they're fresh, and you want them to land it and feel like they have like all of all of the force necessary to do it. You don't want them being a little tired when they do it. We don't want them to hurt their joints. I love your box drill. I think that's awesome, man. Um, I think that's a great one because you're getting them jumping into different directions. I'm a big fan of fast jump ropes to start. So, I mean, I think I would start with fast jump ropes um, or even just those uh, toe pops, right? So just have them toe pop in place have them toe pop forward to the right, to the left, back. And then I love your box jump from there because now they've already got those good mechanics and then they can go forward, backward, side to side. And I think your drill is going to be great because most of us get a little ADD when we're doing these things. So I think yours keeps it fun. And you can add a partner into it too. So now two people can go, right? You can have one kid uh, in there, the other kid just calls numbers out. So now you got more of a reactive thing going on there. So I think mm. that's pretty huge. Last yeah. one I might want. Now, I was going to say, you ever see an athlete who, again, tries to go to one of those intense 
um, plyo.mats mats and go back and forth real quick, but that they lack strength or lack that ground contact time, they almost like their feet don't lift off the ground. They get glued mm-hmm. down and they like stop. Like it's funny to watch because they're like, why aren't my feet moving? And I'm like, well, you, yeah. you got to build up to this. This is something people work on for a long time. Yeah. Now, now one that I clearly like and I love that you threw it in there. So I'm a big bound guy. Um, I'm a big fan of that. I did some lateral bounds. Um, and I think if you can teach your athletes to jump from, say, one foot to another, and you, you kind of have that part down, I love the lateral bound up the, up the hill. There's just something mm. about it where you just get into that, uh, I would call it the outside foot, so the foot that's not, uh, or the, the hip that's not closest to the direction you want to go, right? Mm-hmm. Just load it up and have them basically jump from, say, let's say your right hip is uh, facing the direction that you want to go. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of jumping uh, from my left foot to my right foot and sticking that landing. Then immediately, if I can, putting the left foot down again and, and doing another one of those jumps and doing maybe say three mm-hmm. to five of those. That's just mm-hmm. one that I really like because it gets us in that frontal plane. And I actually think athletes don't seem to have a really hard time jumping from one foot to the other. I mean, I think that that seems to be one that I've had better success with teaching. I think they do tend to do a better job of going the say right foot to the left, left foot to the right. When you're going to go right, right, left, left, that becomes really tough. Do you guys feel like you've, you've seen that too? Yeah. So usually I start out, obviously double right two then, yeah uh, yep. then uh bounding or uh, skater so right to left and then um one leg at a time so that's sort of like the little progression i think definitely outline that too man i think that's a great way to go about things two feet so two to two then one to two but making sure you go opposites to each other and then after mm-hmm. that one to one makes uh makes a lot of sense on that one so that's cool and actually an interesting one sometimes is two to one Right. So when you finally are doing it, sometimes jumping off of two feet and then having to stick it on one seems to be a, a really interesting protocol, too, because with two feet, sometimes you're generating more force and then having to stick it on the one and, and, and have that level of coordination is big. But that's definitely later on in the, uh, you know, in the development. We don't want to go jumping right to it. Um, yeah, but you even want upper body plyometrics. Upper body plyos, I think, is a tough one because mm-hmm. here it comes. It depends on the athlete's ability because what I find, you know, inside the training facility, med ball drills are great because they, you, you can pick a weight that's associated. Unless a kid has a med ball at home right now, they're fighting their body weight. And if I give a kid a four pound med ball and they're doing, you know, upper body plyo stuff with it, that's different than doing 125 pound plyos with your own body. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's tricky. That's a great yeah. point. Yeah. Like I, like I think you're referring to like clapping pushups. Um, not so much that. So clapping push-ups. Uh, I was going to say clapping push-ups to me at the, are like that. That to me is a way to be able to get somebody to you know at the top end of it to do something to have to get higher or push higher. I, I'm actually talking a little bit more about the stretch reflex. So in a way, it's it can be a, a two two hands on the ground, and really what we're worried about is this idea of loading the ground and pressing off as quick as possible. So instead yeah, yeah, of like yeah. a slow tempo or good controlled uh, yeah. tempo, I'm actually talking more about the idea that we are trying to load and immediately come off. Usually athletes at that point might have their hands come off the ground a little just yeah, naturally. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so that progression, well, the clapping push-up would be like the second progression for me. So the first progression is like, like you said, pushing up and your hands just slightly come off the floor. Yep. Second would be the clap, 
And then third would be like a plow metric push up onto like a platform, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like a higher platform. Um, and that's pretty intense. Um, so. And you guys yeah, notice there's that difference of, of pushing with just your arms compared to pushing with your, your arms and your feet. Like, do you guys throw that component in there too, where, you know how like you can, you can really have them lock the feet in and have everything be up top or mm-hmm. you can have them lower and essentially push the ground away with their toes and, and, and flexing their ankles too. Is that something you guys throw in your programming? No, I've never done that. No. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't done that. I don't, I don't think the uh, the twelve year olds or eleven year olds will be doing it. And then when they get to the <laughs> when they get to the high school level, I mean, you guys tell me all the time. I have the fancy tools in here, so I try to use those as much as possible. Yeah, yeah I get. I worked with a lot of wrestlers, and okay. uh, a lot of those guys are really, really strong, really early. And you're finding that some of those kids will actually do stuff that you'll see like street performers in New York do. And uh, yeah, one of the kids not only was he good at, at, at getting his legs involved. So you'd see him press his whole body like off the ground, but then he'd look like Superman. So he would push himself off the ground. His arms and legs would go all the way out. So it's like hands mm-hmm. would be over his head and he'd come back down. And yeah. it's just some guys just kind of have that. And that's the thing, right? For the average kid on that wrestling team, I was just looking for a good push-up, right? But when that guy comes in your door, I mean, you could throw you could throw a weight on his back, which is cool. That's like one of those things you could do. But it's also fun every once in a while when you realize this guy has that kind of ability, and instead of just taking that away from him, you try to come up with something where you go, I don't know, man. You think you might be able to bring your uh, your hands to your feet and then uh, and then come back down, like little things you do to challenge him. And you know, I just think again, it really comes down to being creative with the resources that you have. And then at the same time, uh, making sure that your communication is good enough so that, like when we're talking about plyometrics here, making sure that, that coaches, making sure that other athletes know what you're expecting in the drill, knowing how to do the exercise properly, and then making sure that if we're prescribing something like plyometrics, you know, they understand why it is we want quick ground contact time, not just jumping up on a box, you know, or why it is if you get a kid who's really elastic, but seems to have a really poor ability to be able to absorb force, right? So it's odd, right? They're more like that basketball type where they're kind of bouncy, but yet they're not real strong. They're not really able to, to support themselves that much. Why it's so important for them to come down and absorb that landing so much, or why it's so important to have them come down, create a stretch, hold it for three seconds, and then jump, right? Not using the ground. You know, why that's important to doing a more muscular-based jump. So do you guys want to touch on that style of training, a more strength-based jump uh, right now? Is there a, an application that you guys have for that? And I think that seems to be a really good one for, again, those guys that are bouncy but don't have a lot of strength. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, I'm, here, I'm told if you have a jump mat, there's a great test that you can do for that. Now, Paul, you're the guy with all the tools. I forget, do you use a jump mat? No, I, I had a jump mat at my old facility in New England, but I think you're talking about the four jump test or the six or the six jump test where how fast can you get four jumps done in a matter of time? Um, or even with, you know, the, with the jump mat, you can do it with a vertex too. Have the athletes do a vertical jump, then do a vertical jump with the three second hold at the bottom and then have them do a vertical jump and have like a six to seven second hold at the bottom. So you're going to kind of get to see, can they store that, you know, eccentric strength can they store that power and for how long because say sports like basketball and volleyball yes they're elastic in nature but you're also in a low position waiting 
for the ball or waiting for the ball to come to your side. And you have to be able to store that um, stretch shortening cycle, that eccentric strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, it's not something that I've had available to me yet. Um, I would love to be able to do it, but it's great to be able to understand where your athletes are strong. And uh, I think, again, jumping is cool because it gives you a, another way to test things, right? Like, you know, being able to see how quick they get off the ground, um, seeing uh, where they have their strength, you know, I think these are important things. Again, I'm going to give you guys a great opportunity here to now serve us up with this idea, but I think we were talking beforehand about which jump is more beneficial in which part of the run. So since, uh, since I've done a lot of talking, how about we start uh, – we'll start Paul off with this, and then John just kind of follow up with it. So what are your thought processes on, uh, on the running phases and which jumps are good for what? Yeah, in, in light of the NFL combine that just passed by, you know, they looked at the phase of the 40-yard sprint and how there's an acceleration phase into a transition phase into a maximal velocity phase. Um, and every bit of that run, the ground contact time differs. And I want to reference Dr. Ken Clark in this because he did a study on Henry Ruggs's 40-yard dash and kind of looked at his ground contact time as he ran through it. And he ran at max velocity like a .09 um on the for ground contact time which is elite track sprinter like olympic level um and then if you looked at his acceleration his ground contact time was double that so it was only it was about a 0.2.21 so if you're looking at these jumps the acceleration phase is going to be more of that longer ground contact higher force like a broad jump or a squat jump where you're on the ground longer but it's higher force production um then you get into that transition phase where the ground contact time is going to get less but it's not quite where it is at max velocity. So I think when you get to that max velocity, we're talking those depth drops from high heights. We're stopping the body with short time and high force. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think John's really got us on something here with this, you know, high force, low force for plyometrics. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, long jumps, uh, broad jumps or squat jumps, you're going to see that acceleration portion. And then the max velocity, you're going to see more of that high force depth drops um, or high hurdle landings where you're really trying to take that power and you're trying to lock it in really, really fast. Um, I've been taking a ton of notes over here because I think this is really something that we're going to get onto and can maybe turn something into. But I think you got to look at the ground contact time, especially when you're looking at the jumps in terms of where it can land, pun intended. I think great points there. And again, it's great to be able to have numbers that are associated with that. You know, that's really what we're looking at here. Um, can you just break one other thing down? So the transition component, right? Because that's an interesting one to talk about. A lot of times we as coaches, we're usually told there's acceleration, there's max velocity. You're talking about this transition. So can you break that, that down a little bit more about what really does qualify? Like when does it become max velocity? Yeah, the transition phase is, is kind of that gray area of training. You know, as coaches, we try to avoid it. We try to stay out of it because it was, you know, back in the day saying if you're training in that, you know, not fast, not slow, you're not really getting anything done. Um, but the transition phase is kind of when you're reaching max speed, you're, you're limiting your body weight, so you're almost weightless, but you still haven't gotten up to what you can do maximal speed-wise. I honestly, I believe that if you improve max velocity, you're going to improve acceleration and transition. So I think if you work on that, you know, that high force, um, low ground contact time, it's going to improve the other two. I don't think you should try to train in the transition phase. Um, 
as opposed to the acceleration phase has its purpose. If you can't accelerate, you're going to have trouble in sports. Um, so, you know, that transition phase, although it, it, it plays a role in everybody's game, I think it can improve if you improve the opposite ends of it. If you improve what's around it, you're going to get better at it. And maybe to a certain level, if you improve the other ends of it, if the transition is the only issue you have, well, you still saw a major increase in both areas, which are a lot easier for you to be able to, to simulate than that, that strange point of being, uh, you know, accelerating and trying to come out of it. And maybe that's more mechanical than anything else. Because, again, if you're talking about football guys, usually football guys, even if they run track and field, usually football is the thing that they do the most of, right? So, realistically, it would probably be more of a technique thing um, or – you know, or maybe it just would require years and years of, of spending time on that track. Because most football guys who are doing this, they generally are not, um, you know, they're not, they're not spending all their time w working out the finer points. They're just trying to make sure that their 40 time is respectable enough to get drafted. Yeah, and, ju and just for parents listening and coaches, you know, we're, I was talking about a 40-yard dash. In sports, 95% of it is basically played in acceleration. So let's, let, let's not worry about the transition. I mean, if you have a 100-meter sprinter, yeah, let's get a technical coach in there to really hammer out these problems. But if you have a basketball athlete, don't, don't be worrying about the information I just spit about transition and maximal speed right now because in that sport to get him better or her better right now – get them stronger and get their acceleration phase better. Yeah, acceleration will definitely be uh, more valuable in getting to that, that rim like John, John Coleman was back in high school. What do you got for us? I'm still getting to the rim. I was going to say, John's going to say he can still dunk, right? Yeah, I'm still banging, bro. No, but no, I'm uh, saying that you told me your game was to get to the rim as fast as possible. So that was your game, acceleration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I didn't know I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, but, I'm not like you. I don't take shots at you, my man. That's you know, again, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm relax, always taking the other. Relax. Especially because I these <laughs> days I'm gonna get out there on the court with you and all. I'm definitely setting you up with an oop. Yeah, boy. Let's go. Um so repeat the question. <laughs> 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 well, you know what, man? So he was just breaking down the, the different types of jumping and uh, how different types of jumping apply to certain areas of, uh, of sprinting. And I guess I thought he did a really good job talking about uh, how, you know, say may maybe this plyo could definitely uh, have its effects in max velocity because it's shorter ground contact time. Is there something else um, that we can think of about how plyo will help affect jumping maybe even something coordination wise or uh something that you know fascia wise or something of that nature is there something else that we we might have missed other ways plows can help jumping um well plow would help say with speed or you know or uh you know top end speed or something of that nature it's basically how does jumping help uh help running um i think well one thing we didn't touch on was um sort of how Maybe I can touch on this uh, bounding. Like when we get to the point where we can bound and start doing single yeah. leg stuff, that's more, I would say, uh, sprinting or running specific, right? So um, we, as, we start to get, as we start to get more advanced, instead of doing like our broad jumps for the start or our, uh, our like sink, our like, uh, damn, I don't know where I'm going with this. Honestly, so I'd like, no. I'd like to come in for the steal, though, because I got something for that. I was gonna say yeah, with you talking about bounding in general. You ever yeah. do like um, you ever do any of these vertical bounds, like max effort vertical bounds? Um, you talk, yeah, where you're just going straight up and down, just flying straight up. Yeah, I think about those, and when I hit the ground, I'm quick, man. And when I coach yeah. it, I coach it to be quick. So 
I could mm-hmm. definitely say that, you know, if we were doing, say, eight bounds in a row, four on each side, max height and then max uh, speed off the ground, mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would put that in that shock method. Mm-hmm. So even though maybe that might be the thing we might want to look at and say, all right, well, if, if plyo allows us to do, like, depth jumps, depth drops, that kind of thing where we're jumping, well, it seems to me a bound is a single leg jump. And if you're limiting the amount of time that you put on the ground and creating maximal force, well, who's to say it's not? Right. That's just a thought process I have with you bringing up bounding and things of that nature. Um, and I know, Paul, you were, you were in on something. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think the bounding or when you go single leg, it exposes a lot of athletes because they lack joint stability. And, and that's a big portion of plyometrics. It's not just being reactive or, you know, coordination you're training joint stability you're training the ankles the knees and the hips the ability just to like stay stiff and let the force travel through the body and that's why i think you with young athletes right when you introduce plyos they immediately get faster like it's it, with an older athlete it might be a little more specific but you get a, a 10 11 12 year old and you show them how to land from a depth drop and their vertical goes up three inches in like three months they're amazed, but realistically, you're you're just training the, the the stiffness in the body so that they can produce force. Absolutely, yeah, and that's just a gigantic component of running, right? Being able to be stable for the most part in the center and create movement and force around it, so that you can just transfer that force without any interruption, right? And that, to me, would seem like it'd be valuable for a jumper as well, right? You know, you look at a jumper; they have a really stiff core, and they're able to create this force downward. It from a, a uh, you know, from a physics perspective, that force then becomes incredibly usable. And if you're not wasting any out, then that gives you the most ability to be able to create that force to then go up, you know, and, and dunk a ball, you know, or, uh, you know, or, or spike a ball or whatever you need to do with it. So it makes sense. And then again, I, I think as you were saying, from a stability standpoint, you know, there's just something to being able to do a skill like that and get the body more prepared for what it might be dealing with in live uh live um you know sport you know competition that type of thing well i think again we've this is one of my favorite ones i love getting a chance to talk about fly i think what was cool is a lot lot of us had the the, you know the wheels turning kind of thing you know and just thinking about it and, and trying to uh, apply these methods. Um, I guess the only other thing I want to bring up is this, and this is just something that's been, been fun for me. So I was explaining the idea of like upper body plyometrics and lower body plyometrics with the fact that I was thinking of, well, in order to be successful with lower body plyometrics, you're essentially loading these specific joints, right? And you're thinking about it. The hips have to bend, the knees have to bend, the ankles have to bend, right? You know, debatably we could talk about that big toe if we wanted to to put that in there too but you know you you just look at it and you're just you're saying all right these things have to load when i think of an upper body plyometric i like working my way through there and say well the shoulders have to bend right the elbows have to bend we're usually flexing the wrist you know um depends where you want to put the thumb in that category how you want to look at it well it's so cool when i think about the fact that like you know your lower and your upper body it's pretty easy to break those pieces down and sort of compare an ankle to a wrist uh you know a knee to an elbow and both, you know, the hip and the, and the shoulder joints being very similar ball and socket joints. Those are some cool ideas to me. And I just think that, like, when we are trying to talk about movement, sometimes we might want to pay attention to there's some similarities between, say, upper and lower and 
maybe some of the same kind of things that we focus in on with our lower body, we want to focus in on with our upper body as well. So I don't know if those kind of ideas ever pop up in your head there, but that's been something that's just been a fun little side note uh, thought on my end when teaching upper body plyometrics and lower body plyometrics and just this idea of making sure that people understand that you should be feeling the ground under you and then, you know, sort of creating some force. And then just that ability to load it properly, like loading with the right idea that that elbow or the shoulder, the elbow, and the wrist are in the right place so you don't hurt your elbow or you don't hurt your, your wrist or your shoulder and vice versa. You don't want to hurt your knees, so you want to make sure that your hips and your uh, ankles are more bent. Like, those are things I think of. Mm-hmm. And even, like, um, this got me thinking about timing when you're actually jumping, timing of the arms and the hips as well, right? Yes. A lot of times what you'll see is, like, um, athletes, like, hips will go back first and then their arms go. It's like that's messing up your ability to jump, you know, um, on your descent or even even on your jumps. Sometimes that happens. You know? You'll see them like you'll, you'll, you ever see a person whose arms swing back, right? And they're so mm-hmm. far back that the hips start moving, the arms haven't even gotten there yet. Right, right. And, yeah. and you look at it, and you just know you're like, oh, you see some of the arms move too quickly, and you go like, listen, I, I know you're trying to get the arms right, and it's mm-hmm. not like you did a bad job, but you're not helping. You know, they need to go together. You know, mm-hmm. it's like that and, and sort of teaching that coordination. And you're talking about getting a kid faster um, by them uh, enhancing that coordination, get better at that coordination. I think that has tremendous carryover to just uh, learning how to sprint, too, because if their arms are moving like that when they're jumping, it's probably very similar when they're uh, sprinting as well, because sprinting is none but a plow metric anyway. So, you know, absolutely. You keep saying it, jumping from one leg to another. Yeah. We got for that, Paul, or you just uh... – Well, no, I mean, if we went on this topic and we started talking about dying bugs and bird yeah. dogs and coordination, I guarantee you we'd talk for three hours because the core just – we talked about the lower body and the upper body, but the core is probably has ten times more information that needs to be transmitted through it because mm-hmm. of that coordinate – that, you know, those slings, the cross-body slings that need to communicate. Um, we've all seen the kid that jumps up in the air and they throw their arms down. Or, right. you know, yep. the, dying, the dying bug where they do the same arm, same leg, or they literally can't do it for 10 seconds. Um, mm-hmm. I think the core on this topic could be its whole, a whole podcast in its own, you know? Yeah. So, what, what's cool is you guys just found out that next week you've heard one of our topics. <laughs> <laughs> Tran- transmitting man. force through the core. <laughs> Yeah, no, I seriously like that one. I think that'd be good. And I think also with that, we can give uh, we can give our listeners an opportunity to maybe see some exercises. Maybe we'll dump a few core exercises in uh, into the page just so that they know what they can do while they're uh, being quarantined. What I will say is some really good news came my way. It looks like if it's in if uh, you're doing exercise out in the park, it's prohibited. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Oh, OK. Yo, but check this out. So one other thing that I've just started uh, thinking about. Why am I saying prohibited? I mean permitted. Prohibited. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah, good news. I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't do that outside anymore. I've been yeah, talking I, about how I like training people outside. I'm like, yeah, it's a good thing I can't do that now. No, permitted. Yeah. I, I kind of knew what you were talking about. But, yo, check this out. Um, so balance and jumps. And that's one thing I've been diving into and, and got it. I follow. He talks about it a lot, like, especially in basketball a lot. And I, I did it too growing up. I only jumped when I went up to dunk or layup most of the time. 
especially when I was dunking, I would dunk off my left leg, right? Me so too. dunk balance. So um, kids can actually en enhance their jumping ability if they start practicing of jumping off their non-dominant leg, right? So there's four kind of jumps. There's a single leg jump off your left. There's a single leg jump off your right. There's a, a left-right gather two-foot jump. And then there's a right-left gather two-foot jump. And we're talking about basketball and dunking and stuff like that. But most people only either do uh, either your left off single or maybe or somebody may do left-right and not do right-left when they're talking about uh, double-leg jumping. So it's getting better at all four of those. That can enhance your jumping ability like crazy and also uh, make you more injury res resilient. So. Guys, hopefully you got the visual on that one because that was second nature for me. That's my my place. You know, I, I love talking that kind of stuff. But, you, again, if you guys haven't played basketball before, just imagine the idea that someone's about to go and step up and jump up to the rim. Usually one foot will lead. So you have one foot leading, and then all of a sudden they're, they're gathered together, as he's talking about. So it's a one foot, both feet gather kind of thing. So mm -hmm. one's in the front, and they're both there together, and then you then take off off it. I'm one of those guys kind of like John because I'm a righty. I believe you're a righty also, John. Mm -hmm. So there's something about that left foot where you step with that left foot. And usually you create a whole lot of force into the ground, and then you try yeah. to then get off the ground quickly. But you do. You step with one foot. Your two feet are gathered. You go. That's it. Yeah. Boom! You know, that's the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it's it's not, an ultimate step. An ultimate step. Yeah. An ultimate step. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like a decelerating step, yeah. right? That's what it is. You're going forward. It's a slight deceleration, and then you're right up into it. Well, actually, no. If we think about it, let me just make sure I got that part right. That would be an interesting one to look at. I think, well, for what we're talking about, that gathering, I could totally be wrong, but I think the gathering step, there might be sort of a penultimate step leading to the gathering step, depending on how quickly you're going to the rim. Because I can almost see a portion where my right foot might give me this slight deceleration, my left steps, and then I go into it, right? Could you mm -hmm. see it that way? Yeah, definitely. Because that's what I'm trying to think of. Because, again, I, I've been fortunate enough to, to take a, a booze class on, um, uh, what is it, his, uh, his uh, horizontal jumps. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, when you see an athlete, in say like a, a long jump or a triple jump it's very evident but you're right like in sport it can be a little different and things can disrupt it too right like a mm -hmm. defender trying to take a swipe at the ball can change yeah. things and make you take off earlier like that kind of thing too yeah, yeah. go ahead paul no i mean i was picturing i had this conversation with a volleyball athlete once this girl's mm -hmm. vertical jump was a 25 but when she go out on the floor, the other girl who had a 20-inch vertical jump on her team looked like she was soaring well above her. And it was just, a co again, coordination, a timing mm -hmm. thing. And she was able to position her body really fast with that right left and yep. get up where the other girl, yes, yeah, she could jump. But if she was mistiming her play or she was mm -hmm. mistiming her swing, it didn't look good. And the, everyone's sitting there like, man, she's getting up, but she's not. And I'm like, it's funny in the gym it's the opposite way so it goes to show you you know there's components we can teach but if you don't teach the coordination or the actual movement they're going to do that power is going to be lost somewhere yeah and i think and for me when i first and she might have had this problem i don't know you tell me like when i first started learning how to dunk i used to take like i used to like take big steps to start and then i take like these baby steps to jump like 
that wasn't helping me. It felt like it was, but it wasn't, you know what I mean? So when I actually learned how to jump, I started like freaking, like a good person to look at is Derrick Rose. Like when he does that gather step and he freaking puts all that force into the ground, he does that tomahawk jump. Like, I guess that was old Derrick Rose when he was MVP. But, oh, uh, yeah. But dude, he did it awesome, bro. There's like, a, he there's a, he was 6'4 and looked like he, like, for that league, he looked like a running back kind of guy. Like, it just yeah. – it was crazy how quick he could get to his spots, his move. Yeah. And, again, those jumps were ridiculous. Yeah. But I think yeah. – um, yeah, I was funny because I had this thing I liked to do where when I wanted to dunk, I would dip my right shoulder. So it was like I wanted to create this dipping effect leading mm-hmm. into one side to then go into it. And, like, looking back on it, it was such a waste of movement. Like, mm-hmm. I would miss sometimes. Like, sometimes that ball would bounce off the rim, and it was like, well, yeah, like, the, whatever my body wanted to do to get me to that rim was, like, from a biomechanic standpoint, just absolutely, like, fighting itself, right? Like, I was fighting takeoff. But that was the pattern that I felt most comfortable running up and dunking with one arm, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, if I ever went under the rim on somebody and then would come up, that, that was a pretty natural, like, straight up, up, right? Mm-hmm. So that was an easier dunk in a way. Also, usually I didn't have much time to think about that, so that was usually me trying to get up quickly and not get blocked, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it that seems like it. that's more of a – what you're talking about is more of that strength thing that we were talking about where the sort of gather is more of that um, that sort of stretch reflex, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, I would be an example of a guy who probably in, in high school from that perspective uh, was just a little more elastic, but pretty weak, right? That's what I'm thinking on that one. So I think there was something to being able to coordinate myself to just like, just be like under control and not waste energy. I think I was leaking energy. Mm-hmm. And That's again, the good thing is I didn't, I didn't lift weight, so it didn't affect my shot. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey man, Coach Bo, man, you don't need to shoot if you're strong. <laughs> Just bully your way to the basket, baby. <laughs> well, guys, you have any final thoughts on this one? I guess my final thought would probably be for coaches or parents out there. I saw a, a home program prescribed by a football coach. I can't remember what school. It's probably a good thing, but um, every day wanted the kids to do a hundred squat jumps, a hundred push-ups and 20 100 yard sprints and then the next day he oh wanted that God. and then the next day he wanted them to time their 40s and then the following day he wanted them to do the 100 push-ups 100 squat jumps 20 100 yard sprints and then the following day time their 40s and i kept sitting there going you know you guys got to see this podcast everybody listening we went over the fact that there's a difference between high force long ground contact time low force short ground contact time high force short ground contact time. Then you have to apply to the frontal, transverse, and sagittal plane. Then you have to apply rest periods. Then you got to teach coordination. So there's more levels than just do squat jumps. You know, don't, right. don't just do it to do it. I mean, prescribing it, I get you're trying to help these kids, but there's a reason that when we're going through this podcast and talking about jumping and plyometrics, we talked for an hour. There's so much that goes into it that you could mess somebody up during this period. I would love to see maybe a, a combination of coaches and strength coaches getting together and, and let's put a football schedule or a basketball schedule or a volleyball, field hockey. Like let's get these girls and guys out on the field doing things, but let's actually do it right. Do, is the coach going to be mad that their 40 times are 
you know, three tenths slower? Absolutely. But is it their fault, the athlete? No. You know, you yeah, set I them up for failure. Yeah, I don't get the point of, and maybe he doesn't get it because that's why he uh, subscribed it. I don't get the point of doing all that work, timing your 40, doing it again. Like the second time you time your 40, it's going to be way slower. Like, yeah, and, I, and I think it's 10 40-yard dashes. I think they, that oh. he wanted them to do 10 40s. And Have I'm you ever run a 40, to, Coach? And I'm pretty sure there's no rest time prescribed there. Like, they don't yeah, even no, know. I'll say this right now. Doing 10 flying 10s with maximal rest, good luck. Right. That's hey, all I'm saying. I did, a tra- I did a track workout on Monday, and the kids ran less. This is before the whole social distancing took over. But the, the kids ran less than 140 meters, and they were cooked. They were done. Yeah. It, yeah, it was just done right, though. Right, exactly. Like I, we mentioned it, the uh, intent. We we talked about that. Like if your intent is freaking where it's supposed to be, you can get a lot out of a little. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, I mean that's huge, man. And just like from looking at it, like maybe from the perspective of jumps and from the perspective of uh, sprints and anything like that. Like if you're gonna prescribe something, if you're gonna prescribe reps try to give parameters on when to shut it down. So in other words, yeah. in 10 sets, if, if, if you're not improving, and then let's say if you're not within 10% of the speed that you were at the first time or the mm-hmm. second time or, or your best time, mm-hmm. you're not doing any good. Like now you're actually just teaching them how to run when they're tired. And we've said this so many times before, but that's not making your athletes mentally tough. It's just making them slow. So you know that's that's not where they need to be i think you know it's our job as sports performance coaches to make sure we're setting these guys up to be, be able to train their body to perform at the highest levels and uh if you do it that way then chances are they're going to be more ready for you they won't be in that situation where they won't have the juice to do what they're supposed to do so you know these guys pick coaches preparing for the worst instead of just trying to prepare them for the best right yep yep cool and i would take that same approach plyometric guys you're uh, setting your athletes up to do certain kinds of jumps, and it looks like uh, they're dying out and they're not hitting certain certain heights. Um, you know, if you're just trying to train the skill itself, then I don't mind you reducing the height at which they're going to jump or the height at which they're going to come down and see if you get what you want. But at some point in time, it's just good to be able to shut things down and uh, maybe a couple of days later, you know, three maybe three days later, depending on how they adjust to it, bring it back out and give them that opportunity to do it again, and I'm sure you'll get a great performance. But the idea is to not ruin these athletes in training. You know, we don't want to do it. Training should never be a place where you get an injury. Plyometrics is a great tool if you want to be able to get your athletes to be more explosive, but it's a great way to get your athletes hurt too. So make sure you're stepping in for the right parameters. And uh, as far as uh, our end goes, I think what we'll do is we'll make it a point to post a few guidelines on there so that uh, if you're a coach who's prescribing these things, you have some ideas uh, on what we do. Um, if you're a young athlete listening, happy to give you, uh, you know, the tools to do some of this stuff on your own. And again, reach out. Feel like, um, you know, you're free to ask questions. We like helping. That's the whole reason why we're doing this. So um, mm-hmm. for Paul Kenny, John Coleman, and myself, for the Yak Podcast, just want to say uh, thanks for listening. And we look forward to bringing more great content next week.